This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Glad to have this guy back. He's an FCC commissioner. It's Brendan Carr. Brendan, how are you? Good to see you. I'm doing great. Good to see you again, Joe. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Uh, You and I talked about the possibility of Elon Musk buying Twitter before he bought Twitter. Now that he's done it, does that affect anything as far as your job? As far as, because you you and I talked about the, the scope of the FCC really doesn't have much to do with online platforms other than Section 230 does sort of fall into your pur- your purview. Uh, does that do anything yeah. for you who owns the platform? Do, do you care? Well, you're right. I mean, Section 230 is actually Section 230 of the Communications Act. Right. We do administer it. I think we should issue some orders interpreting the words in it in a way that's going to promote more speech. When Elon Musk was endeavoring in this product to buy Twitter, what I said was I thought that was a good thing because uh, I think he's going to bend their content moderation towards free speech. But I also said that we shouldn't just rely on a single billionaire and hope that he is benevolent in his content moderation. I still think we need to step in uh, with pro-speech guardrails to protect what is the digital town square. My position has always been no one person, no one click should get to decide the ideas that are discussed in the town square. There, there should be people that decide. And the people that should be deciding are the ones that are participating in the town square. I, yes. I think it's a bottom-up way of, quote-unquote, silencing, if you even want to call it that, which is go ahead and you as an individual user mute somebody, filter somebody, block somebody. That's great. But there shouldn't be any central entity that's a gatekeeper to the ideas that we discuss in the digital town square. Very interesting. And, and what Musk has said is that he will um, not limit your speech, but he will limit your reach. Is that the same thing? In other words, if I post something that might mildly go against their, their standards, their TOS, um, he can limit how many people can see it, but he won't, he won't suspend me or ban me for doing it. Does that make sense or not? It's certainly better than blocking, but yeah. it's not ideal still from my perspective. I, again, I think we need to push this down to individual users and let them make those decisions. It's what I call sort of user empowerment, because again, you can can think of it like sort of federalism. Like when you have one entity making system-wide decisions, the, the benefits of that are good, but the negative consequence of getting that wrong is bad as well, which is why I think we gotta, you know, let it go, let people decide. Again, think about like the, the biggest challenges we face, you know, origins of COVID-19 or are right. masking young children worth it giving uh, speech issues? Is the New York Post story uh, newsworthy? When those decisions are centralized in one place, they can get it right or get it wrong, and we all experience the consequences. So I, I prefer an approach that's more bottom-up. It is uh, Brendan Carr. Go to Brett. Brendan Carr FCC is his uh, handle over on Twitter. Are you on Truth and Getter and all these other ones too or not? 
I have one or two other ones. I don't think I'm on those two, though, in, in particular. I might have a getter one, but I don't, I don't recall. All right, very good. Uh, go and follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. The Chinese government doesn't like him because he tells the truth about TikTok <laughs> and what they're doing. Um, if you don't mind, give me just a quick synopsis, a history lesson, if you will, about Section 230. Because it came out, what, 97 or 98? That was way before Twitter and Facebook and all that. What was it supposed to do? Yeah, so Section 230 does a couple things, and it's kind of gotten lost over the years. It, it does two main things, which is, one, if you leave someone else's speech up, you're not liable for that speech. It's their speech if there's any tortious liability or whatever that's associated with it. Right. That's great. That's 230C1. The problem is 230C2 basically said if you're going to take speech down, then you can only do so with the special 230 protections in a narrow set of cases. What courts have said is forget C2. You have carte blanche to take speech down, to censor, to algorithmically boost stuff and still get your 230 protection. So the problem with 230 is courts have just misread or read out of it uh, a key balancing concept that Congress originally intended in there. Does the FCC have a, a great interest in the Twitter files as they start getting dumped? We know that what you just alluded to, the New York Post, was censored. We know they were suspended for no reason. Yet we know that they were just trying to, with uh, by colluding with the Biden uh, the Biden campaign at the time, we know this is all fact now, those who were running the inner workings of Twitter were taking down whatever the Biden campaign asked them to take down with no terms of service issues, with no sort of, uh, um, as you were mentioning earlier, no sort of attacks or, or terroristic threats. They just took it down because it, it, would have harmed, it would have harmed his campaign. When these files come out and we see the collusion that was done between government agencies and, and Twitter to take down Donald Trump and stretch their own rules to do so, does the FCC have oversight on this? Are you guys examining this stuff? You know, I'm very interested in it. I don't, I don't know how much is going to come in within our regulatory purview, but if there's collusion and we're starting to see evidence of this yeah. between the government and the private sector, then that effectively means that the First Amendment should be applying here. If there's that much uh, mutual action between government and private sector, a lot of people also say, look, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, they're private companies. They can do whatever they want. Not That's not the case. You know, We have cases all the time that take private entities. There's a case involving a shopping mall in the Supreme Court called Prune Yard yeah. where uh, high school students wanted to come in and, and send pamphlets out, and the private property owner said, don't come onto my property, and I have a First Amendment right. And the court said, no, yes, it's private property. But you don't have the right to exclude these high school kids. We do it in cable context. Cable companies are required by law to carry the local broadcast TV station, even if they disagree with it. So this idea that's taken hold that these are private entities and therefore there's nothing we can do to regulate their decisions to carry speech or not simply doesn't stand up when you look at the Supreme Court precedent out there. And it's even more egregious because Jen Psaki from the press secretary's office literally said, if you're banned or suspended from one platform, you should be banned or suspended from every platform. And she's de facto the White House. She's saying it from a, the highest government office that you possibly can, representing the yeah. president of the United States. So if the government puts um, pressure on and says, do this, and Twitter does it or Facebook does it, and Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg admitted that the FBI told him that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, when of course it's not, it's real. Um, they are acting as the government, and the government cannot restrict our speech. So even the, the, the pamphlet thing, I think, is a little bit different because it wasn't the government saying, you have to tell these kids with the pamphlets to get out of the mall. This is the mall management saying it. So I understand that case, and it is similar. But if the government literally says, take this down, it's harming the campaign, and then Twitter responds with, handled they are the government are they not yeah you're right this is an easier case yeah. than the mall case because there's a whole doctrine called jawboning where government officials are encouraging 
censorship. Uh, there's, a, again, a, a line of cases called jawboning where, you, where the First Amendment should apply. And we have something called the Hatch Act in government, which is I can't go out there uh, and endorse a partisan political candidate for office. So right. my traditional free speech rights are infringed a little bit. I think we need the Hatch Act for censorship, which is to say nobody should be using their official uh, capacity to encourage censorship of politically uh, protected speech. And, and I do think there's some interest potentially in passing some laws that would do just that to stop that type of jawboning that you just talked about. It's uh, Brendan Carr from the FCC. Follow him, Brendan Carr FCC over on Twitter. What's interesting is Corrine Jean-Pierre, the current press secretary, keeps on using the Hatch Act as a reason why she doesn't have to answer a question, and she's using it incorrectly. What you just said is true. They can't campaign from their official position in the government, but she was asked about the collusion between the Biden campaign uh, and Twitter, but she was also asked about the Biden campaign receiving money, or the president receiving money from FTX uh, in, right. in the election, and she said, well, I can't because of the Hatch Act. That's not true. They weren't asking her, who are you pulling for? They were saying, does the man you work for, the president, plan on giving the money back? And under the Hatch Act, as you and I understand it, she could have answered that, couldn't she? Yeah, I mean, Hatch Act has uh, multiple different uh, applications. But right, in the main, we shouldn't be having government officials, either officially or frankly, even unofficially, because everyone knows who these people are, saying, hey, this is misinformation, this is disinformation, you should take it down. We should not, in government officials, be encouraging the private sector to engage in censorship. And if we need new laws to do that, then I fully support that. Uh, interestingly, suddenly some on the left, some of the Democrats are starting to say what you and I have been saying about TikTok for a long time. If you don't mind, just give me a primer as to why people listening and watching should be very wary of themselves and their kids even being on TikTok. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, there's now bipartisan support in Congress, Democrat, Republican, agreeing that TikTok presents a serious national security threat. It passed the Senate unanimous consent, which means it's nonpartisan. No one objected. The national security stuff we've covered, but let's talk about parents and why parents are increasingly concerned. One, a lot of people, parents, think of TikTok the way we think of uh, Twitter or Facebook, which is you choose a network of trusted friends and you look at their content. Right. That is not at all at how TikTok works. TikTok works by a Beijing-based algorithm feeding content directly to your kid. And there was a study out just this week that the New York Times reported on that within 30 minutes of a 13-year-old going on TikTok, they are being fed self-harm eating disorder wow. content, sometimes in as short as three minutes. So parents don't realize how fundamentally different this is in terms of the content that Beijing is deciding. And again, that type of content is not being shown by the version of this app that's available in China. In China, the app called Doyan is feeding science exhibits, uh, museum information, educational material. So that's the spinach version of TikTok. And what we're kid getting fed here effectively is digital fentanyl. It's very, very harmful content. And, and so it's a national security problem. But I think as parents, we got to be really concerned as well. And, and you don't know what the reasons are behind why the CCP would do this other than they can. And they know that it's very, very addictive. You mentioned, you mentioned fentanyl. This is a dopamine spike constantly. And if they're feeding you content that they think that you want, you'll never put it down. I've heard of people losing three, four, five hours just scrolling through TikTok. When yeah. it comes to the actual Trojan horse, though, um, aspect of it, is it your understanding, because I think you told me this before, that if the company is based in China, and it is, it's owned by ByteDance, um, then the CCP has access to everything and anything that this company or any company that's based there collects as far as data is concerned. Does that mean they can see my keystrokes? They can see my contact list? What can they see? Yeah, most people think, well, what's the espionage value in these funny videos? Well, that's yeah. not it at all. Uh, the way it operates is a sophisticated surveillance tool. It's pulling, to your point, search and browsing history 
keystroke patterns, potentially biometrics, including face prints and voice wow. prints. And for years we were told, don't worry, none of this is stored in China. Well, internal communications leaked over this past summer and it showed, quote, everything is seen in China. So the most sensitive personal information that's on your phone, in some cases, potentially not just in the app, but on your phone itself can be accessed from China. So again, it's data flows back to China. That's a concern. And then the content that's being disseminated directly into young kids. Again, two thirds uh, of teenagers are on TikTok. And on average, they're spending over an hour and a half. One third of all users of TikTok are using it to get news now. Right before our most recent election, the midterm, there was a CCP propaganda arm that was using TikTok to target specific U.S. politicians for criticism, Republicans and Democrats, ahead of the election without disclosing, unlike other social media platforms, that connection back to the government. So there's you know, four or five reasons that individually alone would be enough for us to take action. That's why it's so good that we're seeing bipartisan Republicans and Democrats really starting to lock arms on this, because that's what we need to do to drive this to the right result, which is frankly banning the application. FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr, if I recall when Trump was in office, he wanted to ban TikTok or he would not ban it if they sold to somebody outside of China. That was the push, right? Because, again, if it's China owned, the CCP has access to any company that is owned and operated out of China. They can get all the data that they want. Had they sold it to somebody, an outside entity, and I think he wanted an American company to buy it, then that would have been okay. Is that really what the issue is? If they were to sell to an entity outside of China, does that suddenly make it a safer app or not? Yeah, we talk about banning the application, but there could be some solutions that are practically similar, which is, yeah, ending data flows back to Beijing, breaking that corporate link back to uh, the ByteDance, the parent company based in Beijing. I'm open to all of those ideas, but this idea, which is currently being explored by the Biden administration, which is we allow the current corporate structure to stay, we're just going to do a better job, we think, of putting checks on the data. I mean, these Beijing operators are so, so sophisticated. Uh, look, we're, we're pretty good in the U.S., but I just don't see a path forward for a technical solution where we're going to outsmart them and they're not going to still get access to the data. That's why whether it's called banning or inserting a new corporate structure, those are the types of ideas that we need to be thinking about, not just limiting data. At this point, China, though, knows that it would be very hard for us to ban it for the simple reason that so many tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, use it here in this country. There would be an outcry like crazy because young people, I'm not cutting them down, I used to be young, so did you, uh, but young people, <laughs> young people don't get it. They don't understand why you would say this is a dangerous app and you can't have it. That's going to make them want it even more. What do you think the public outcry would be and how would we handle that? You know, there, there's sufficient public support for taking this type of action. Really? You're right. Again, two-thirds of every teenager is on this. Parents, I think, are increasingly supportive of it. Yeah, it, it's, there's going to be some outcry. But the good news is there's other short-form video applications out there that you can distribute the same type of content, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, yeah. YouTube Shorts. So there are alternatives out there where people can, can do this in a way that's a lot safer from a national security perspective, but also in terms of, you know, again, eating disorders, self-harm, suicidal uh, content, uh, so we can, we can go down that path. Yeah, uh, Brendan Carr, FCC, follow him on uh, Twitter. He's from the FCC, an actual commissioner currently on the on the board. Let me ask you about uh, former President Trump's announcement yesterday, and not necessarily about whether you liked it or didn't like it. Let me just ask you if he, can, if he could do it. He says if he were to be reelected, he would start writing executive orders that would ban uh, any ability to squelch free speech on any platform by calling it mis- or disinformation. In other words, these platforms like Twitter was for a long time were banning anything they decided to throw a flag of misinformation on, and, and you'd say, well, why'd you ban me? Well, it was misinformation. Well, how so? It just was misinformation. Uh, I guess he wants to get rid of that broad label, uh, squelching our speech. Is that doable? 
Yeah, I really like that idea. And whether it's, you know, a Trump idea or a Biden idea or someone in Congress, uh, whoever is behind it, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. In fact, I did an op-ed about two years ago in the Wall Street Journal where I said that disinformation is the new disinformation, yes. meaning that people are taking political speech they don't like, slapping the word disinformation on it, and then encouraging people to ban or censor it. And and that's not right. I mean, look, the thing with censorship is that censors are either biased or fallible. And that's that's the mistake. So one person's disinformation is another person's political speech, which, again, that's why we need the guardrails. The, the, the soapbox is as vital to democracy as the ballot box. We've got to remember that the two are linked. Diversity of speech uh, is the lifeblood of democracy. And if you don't trust people with the soapbox, you're telling on yourself what you're really saying is I don't trust them with the ballot box either. It's, it's an authoritarian instinct that yeah. that isn't limited to speech. Another idea was uh, uh, you can't have any government uh, collusion or even uh, cross-communication with these platforms. The government needs to stay out of it. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, that's sort of the idea that we just talked about with, with the Hatch Act is, you know, government officials shouldn't be coordinating to censor private uh, First Amendment protected speech. Were you as surprised as I was that 15 to 25 people that were working in high-level jobs at Twitter had just left the CIA, FBI, or NSA? I was stunned by that. And why would a platform need so many high-level intelligence people on their roles? What Trump said yesterday was he would make a a seven-year waiting period before you could leave your job in some intelligence agency and go to work for Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Did you know that, that, that there were that many involved? Yeah, look, it's it's a it's a pretty open secret here in D.C. I mean, if you look back, for instance, at the Obama administration, there was a revolving door between Silicon Valley and the Obama White House that just spun and spun and spun. Right. Uh, and I don't think that's a great thing. So I think some more censorship. I mean, I have limitations on if I if I ever find my way out of here, out of government, <laughs> you know, I got limitations on when I can lobby the FCC again. It's a number of years down the road. Um, so I think that sort of stuff makes sense. I mean, obviously, we want to attract people into government. But, you know, we don't need that revolving door going so fast. Brendan Carr from the FCC, we always appreciate the time and the access. Let's talk again very soon in the new year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you and yours. And thanks for coming on today. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good to see you. All right, brother. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show. Great to have you. Thanks. I appreciate you stopping by. Lots going on. Lots to get to. We appreciate Brendan Carr from the FCC coming on. An actual FCC commissioner. Go follow him at Brendan Carr FCC. Again, if you like those come on videos that I do where I give you some information, give you another video, I give you some sort of a, I don't know, sometimes I'll put a tweet up there. And then at the end I say, come on. Uh, if you like those, go to Instagram. That's where I'm putting most of them. Instagram.com slash Joe Talk Show or at Joe Talk Show on Instagram. On YouTube, I'm putting a few shorts on there, which are also the short videos. It's Joe Pags Radio there. And uh, again, we're, we're growing the sites as we possibly can. Twitter finally starting to take off now that the restrictions are taken off. It's at Joe Talk Show there as well. 888-941-PAGS. Go to JoePags.com. Scroll down. Click on contact if you want to send an email. Another big hour coming your way next hour, including next hour. Make sure that you've, uh, you're sticking around. Another great interview. Keep it here. Joe Pags.